Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to this letter, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And these verses also form the text for the sermon. Let us hear the word of God. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the preaching of his holy and infallible word. Dear friends, it goes without saying that the world in which we live is exceedingly wicked. Things that only 40 or 50 years ago were considered immoral and disgusting are now openly practiced and celebrated. And it's all over. It's on our televisions. It's on the internet. It's on the front covers of magazines at the grocery checkout. It's on the radio. It's everywhere. And this, of course, poses a problem. And it's a problem that believers have struggled with since the beginning of time. And the problem is, how should we as Christians live in such a dark and wicked world? Well, we have at least a partial answer to that question in the words of our text, Philippians 2, the verses 14 to 18. The Apostle Paul has just finished commending the Philippians in verse 12 to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. And as we saw the last time, to work out our own salvation means to put our faith into practice. It means to work out the implications of our faith in every area of our lives. The Christian is not to be, not to live and act like a Christian only on Sundays. Rather, he is to live and act like a Christian every day of the week and in every sphere in which the Lord has placed him in the church, in society, at work, at home, and at school. But what does that look like practically? How should we as Christians conduct ourselves in a dark and sinful world? Well, this is the question that the Apostle Paul answers in our text, and it's to these words that we turn our attention with the help of the Lord. Our theme today is living as lights in darkness. And we'll consider, first of all, the conduct this requires, Secondly, the testimony this enhances. And thirdly, the joy this produces. It's not easy to live as lights in a dark and sinful world. There's so much sin and so many temptations. So how can we do this? What must we do? Well, one can answer that question in many different ways. One can say we must be vigilant. Another could say we must flee from sin. Another can say we must pursue after godliness or we must witness to others or we must avoid all forms of 
worldliness, and all these things are true. But the Apostle Paul gives a different answer to that question, and it's phrased in the negative, and it's found in verse 14 of our text. There the Apostle writes, Do all things without complaining and disputing. So as we live in this sinful world, Paul says the most important thing we can do is to do all things without complaining and without disputing. Now, what does he mean by that? First of all, what does he mean by complaining? Well, the Greek word here can also be translated as grumbling or muttering. It describes an undercurrent of discontent, dissatisfaction with one's circumstances, with God's will and God's providences. It's the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint, to describe the grumbling of the people of Israel in the wilderness. You may remember how almost immediately after the Lord delivered the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt, they began to grumble and complain. They grumbled and complained about the lack of water, about the lack of food, and even about Moses' leadership. They were so upset about their circumstances that they even threatened on one occasion to return back to the land of Egypt. Now, we can be like that too sometimes, can't we? Like the people of Israel, we too can sometimes grumble and complain. Workers grumble and complain about their employers and their working conditions. And employers sometimes grumble and complain about their employees, how little they work. Husbands can sometimes grumble and complain about their wives. And wives can grumble and complain about their husbands. Children can grumble and complain about their parents and parents about their children. Members of the congregation can grumble and complain about their pastors and pastors about their congregations. Paul says, don't do that. Don't live like that. Don't be like the people of Israel in the wilderness. Don't live your life grumbling and complaining. Why not? Well, The simple answer is that God hates it. He hates it so much that he punished this exact sin with death. Several times in the Old Testament, we read that when the people of Israel grumbled and complained, God was provoked to wrath. And he punished the people with plagues. And at one point, he even threatened to destroy the entire nation. So why does God hate this sin so much? The simple answer is because all grumbling and complaining is a sin against God. First and foremost, it is an attack on the providence of God. The doctrine of providence teaches that nothing in this life happens by chance. Whatever happens, happens for a reason, and it is sent by God, and it is meant for our good. And that includes not only the so-called good things, but also the so-called bad things. The Heidelberg Catechism, one of the Reformed Confessions, summarizes this doctrine well when it says that the providence of God is the almighty and everywhere present power of God, whereby, as it were, by his hand, he upholds and governs heaven, earth, and all creatures, so that herbs and grass, rain and drought, fruitful and barren years, meat and drink, 
health and sickness, riches and poverty, yes, and all things, come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. So when we grumble and complain, we attack the providence of God. But we also attack the attributes of God. When we grumble and complain, we attack, first of all, the omnipotence of God. For when we grumble and complain, we say, in effect, that God can't do anything about my circumstances, which, of course, is not true. We also attack the omniscience of God. When we grumble and complain, we're saying that God doesn't know my circumstances, and that is also not true. We also attack the love of God. For when we grumble and complain, we're saying that God doesn't care about my circumstances. He's insensitive, which is also not true. You know, to complain against God is like a teenager sitting in his room talking to his friend on his cell phone. And while he's talking to his friend, he's complaining about how unreasonable and unfair his parents are, not realizing that mom or dad is actually standing at the door and has heard every word. Only when we complain, it's God who stands at the door, and who hears every word, and who knows even what's in our hearts. And the Apostle Paul knows this, and that's why he says to the Philippians, do all things without complaining. All things. That means even the things you don't particularly enjoy. Do them without complaining. Because grumbling and complaining is an offense to God. Now, we also says, do all things without disputing. So what is disputing? Well, the Greek word here is a word from which we get the English word dialogue. It describes reasoning or questioning, but with a bitter and critical spirit. Murmuring is emotional. It's an emotional response to one's circumstances. It's a form of what we call bellyaching. But disputing is intellectual. It's an intellectual sparring with God. It involves arguing with God about why things are the way they are. Or why you have to do what you have to do. Or why you're in the circumstance you find yourself in. It proceeds from the assumption that you know better than God does. You know how things should be better than God does. One preacher says that... Disputing is the attempt of the mind to justify the sinfulness of the heart and the will. Now this too is a sin in the eyes of God. Because who are you and who am I to question God or his dealings with us? Do you really think that you know better than God? Sometimes Job did. And do you remember how God answered him? He put Job in his place. He basically told him that he was a nothing and a nobody. My friend, don't do the same. Remember your place. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. And as I said, all things. And that word all is very comprehensive. It applies to every area of your life, to your work life, your family life, your marriage life, and your church life. Whatever you do, in every area of your life, do it without murmuring and disputing. To put it in the positive, do everything trusting in God and submitting to his will, even if you don't like it. Yes, even if it causes you pain. Now, why should we do this? 
Why should we do all things without murmuring and disputing? Well, that brings us to our second point. After commanding the Philippians to do all things without murmuring and disputing, the Apostle Paul gives the reason why. Because by doing so, he says, we give a positive testimony to the world in which we live. Listen to what he says in verses 15 and 16. Do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Paul wants the Philippians, and by extension all believers, to become blameless and harmless or innocent. Now, there's not a great deal of difference between these two words. They both speak of moral purity. When Paul says he wants the Philippians to be blameless, he means he wants them to live in such a way that they cannot be criticized or accused of doing anything wrong. He wants their lives to be without blot, without blemish, with no sinful stain that people can discern and see. The Greek word translated as harmless has as its root a word that means unmixed, untainted, and pure. And so some English translations translate this word as innocent. The point is, Paul wants the Philippians to be morally upright and pure. And in doing so, he says, they will become more and more what they are called to be. Which is what? Paul tells us. Children of God, without fault. Meaning, above reproach, faultless, flawless, spotless, without blemish. In fact, this same word is used in the Old Testament, in Numbers 6, verse 14, and again in Numbers 19, verse 2, to refer to the sacrifices that the people of Israel were to bring to the tabernacle. They were to be, and I quote, without blemish. In other words, he wants the Philippians to become the kind of children of God that would rightly reflect God their Father. Commenting on these verses, John MacArthur recalls a time when as a little boy he did something that was very bad. He doesn't say what it was. But whatever it was, it took place at the church where his father was the pastor. And when one of the deacons of the church found out about it, he was very upset and he took John aside and he said to him, How could you do such a thing? Don't you know who your father is? And his point was that whatever he did was not in keeping with who he was, namely the son of the pastor of the church. Now, while we need to be careful not to place higher expectations on the pastor's children than any other children, the point is still well taken. We need to live and act in such a way that honors our parents, and how much more so that honors our Father in heaven, and that reflects his character. What is more, Paul says, we are to do this in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Now it's likely that Paul here is borrowing that phrase from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. Moses was thinking about the people of Israel, and as he did, he concluded that they were in the words of the Apostle Paul, a perverse and crooked generation. And now Paul takes that phrase and he applies it to the society in which he lived. He says, 
this also is a crooked and perverse generation. The word crooked is the Greek word scolios, from which we get the English word scoliosis. Scoliosis is a deformity of the spine. And those who have this condition have a spine that is curved. It's bent out of shape. It's not aligned. It deviates from the standard. The word perverse is a stronger word. This word means to be severely twisted or severely distorted, even depraved. It's closely connected to the word crooked. Because man has deviated from the path, he has become perverse and twisted in all of his thoughts, his words, his actions, his motivations, and his priorities. And such was the society in which Paul and the Philippians lived, and such is the society in which you and I live today. It's crooked and perverse. It's left the standard. It's moved away from the straight plumb line on the line of the law of God and has become completely twisted and depraved. Now, in the midst of such a society, Paul says the Philippians, and by extension all believers, must shine as lights in the world. And that phrase, lights in the world, probably refers to the sun, the moon, and the stars. And what Paul is saying is that against the dark backdrop of the evil of society, the Philippians must shine like the sun and the moon and the stars shine against the blackness of space. Now, it's possible that the word shine here is to be interpreted as a command. So really what Paul is saying is, shine as lights in the world. If that's the case, then what Paul is saying really echoes the words of Jesus himself. Because in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 to 16, Jesus says these words, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now here it comes, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So what does it mean to let your light shine? Well, it means to practice what you preach. It means to live out your faith to the glory of God in every area of your life. It means to conduct yourself as becomes a Christian, to live in such a way that the world sees that you are a reflection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to shine as a light. And this is our calling. This is our mandate given to us by God. And what is more, Paul says, that we are to live out this calling, holding fast the word of life. The word of life is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the word of life because it's about life. And it imparts life to those who hear it when it's applied by the Holy Spirit of God to the heart. And as believers, Paul says we are to hold fast to that word. That means we are to hold on to it. We are to live by it. Some translations translate this as hold forth, meaning we are to proclaim it and help others to understand it. But however we translate it, the point is the gospel is to be central to our lives. We are not only to live it, we are to hold on to it, and proclaim it in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation. So putting it all together, what Paul is saying is this. He's saying that the reason why we must do all things without murmuring and disputing is because murmuring and disputing will only negatively affect our witness to the world. And that stands to reason, doesn't it? If Christians are always murmuring and disputing and complaining, why on earth would anyone want to become a Christian? 
There's enough murmuring and disputing without un- among unbelievers, let alone among believers. But if Christians do all things without murmuring and disputing, then their witness to the world will be enhanced. Unbelievers will take notice. They will be attracted to Christ and to the church because they see that that's where things are different and they'll want to know why. And they'll give us, they'll ask us for an answer to that question. And that will in turn give us an opportunity to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I know this isn't easy. Our natural tendency is to do the exact opposite of what Paul commands us in this text. But we must fight against this tendency, looking to the Lord for help and for grace, wrought in our heart by the Spirit of God. If we don't, then our witness to the world will be hampered. And so when we do all things without murmuring and disputing, we will enhance our witness to the world. But we will also bring joy to our spiritual leaders. And that brings us to our third and final point. After declaring that the Philippians were to shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, Paul explains the reason in verse 16. He says, So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now what Paul is saying is this. He wants the Philippians to shine as lights in the world, so that when he stands before the Lord on the day of judgment, he may rejoice to see that his preaching and his labors among them were not for nothing. You see, the pastor is like a farmer. When a farmer sows his field, he wants to see fruit on his labors. He wants to see a bountiful harvest. The same is true for any pastor. The pastor who works hard preaching and doing his pastoral work desires more than anything to see fruit on his labors. He does not always see that fruit in this life, but he will hopefully in the life to come. And when he does, he will rejoice. Now, there are many ways to bring joy to your pastors. You can do so by telling him how much you appreciate a certain sermon that he preached, sending him a note or a card, taking him out for lunch or for dinner on occasion, assuring him of your prayers, giving him a warm and friendly handshake. But the best way to encourage your pastor is by growing in godliness and living out your faith in every area of your life. Wasn't this true also for the Apostle John? In 3 John, verse 4, John writes this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And what was true of John is true of every faithful minister of the word. The greatest joy that you can bring your pastor is for him to see you walking in truth, living out your Christianity to the glory of God in every area of your life. Now that was especially true for Paul. For he goes on to say in verse 17, that if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Now when Paul here speaks of being poured out as a drink offering, He's using Old Testament language. A drink offering was one of the offerings that the Israelites were required to give to God. And it usually consisted of wine that was poured out on the altar. And Paul uses that expression as a metaphor for his possible death. He's saying that if he must die for the cause of the gospel, he will do so gladly if it resulted in their spiritual growth. And why does he desire that? Because that's his calling. This is the task 
to which the Lord had called him to. He was called to spend and even be spent for the cause of the gospel. Nor should they regret that. On the contrary, he says, they too should be glad and rejoice with him. So at the beginning of the sermon, I asked the question, how should we as Christians live in this dark and wicked world? Well, Paul has given us the answer. He says, don't complain and don't dispute. Be blameless and harmless, children of God without fault. Shine as lights in the world. Hold fast the word of life. My friend, does that describe you today? Is this how you are living in this dark world of ours? Maybe you say, that's a tall order. And it is, indeed. Remember what Paul has just said in verses 12 and 13. On the one hand, we are to work out our own salvation, and we are to do that with fear and trembling. But on the other hand, we are to do so, acknowledging that it is God, and God alone, who works in us, both to will and to do, of his good pleasure. That means we can do nothing of ourselves, We can only do this by the grace and with the help of God through his Holy Spirit. Thankfully, he is willing and able to help us. That's why he sent his son. You see, he lived the life you and I could never live. He never once complained or disputed, not even when he was on the cross. He was always blameless, always harmless, always without fault. If there ever was a man who shone as a light in the world more brightly than any other light, That was our Savior, because he was the light of the world. And he always held fast to the word of life. And he proclaimed it boldly, faithfully. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that when we believe on this Savior, he washes away all of our sins and all of our shortcomings, and he clothes us in his righteousness so that we may stand before God as though we had never sinned. What is more, he fills us with his gracious spirit who enables us by his power to live the Christian life. Never perfectly, of course. We'll never be perfect in this life. There will always be many sins and many shortcomings. But step by step, until the day we shall see him come on the clouds of glory, then we shall be perfect even as he is perfect. And we shall dwell in his presence and live to his glory forever and ever. Until then, beloved, Strive to live as a Christian in this fallen world. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, We'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, 
please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can go right to our webpage and make a donation right on the webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening. And now, until next week, may the Lord be with you all.